Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Guys, what is up? How are you doing? Welcome to episode number six of the Best Interest Podcast. I'm Jesse Kramer. We are recording this on March 13th, 2021. Today, we're going to talk about optimism and pessimism for the future. Specifically, this relates to why some people are optimistic or pessimistic about their investments. But more generally, these causes for for optimism and pessimism, I suppose they can apply to all, all of life. So even if you're not an investor, I think you can relate to what we're talking about and our vision of the next few decades, what the future will look like. And after that main talk, we are going to give a brief uh, cliff notes on NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. It's on the front page of the New York Times this week. So if you haven't heard of NFTs yet, you will. And today's simple description will help you out. So with that, let's get on with the show. In episode two of the podcast, we talked about long-term faith the long-term faith that investors need to find success. And in episode four, we talked about how some investors see doom behind every little dip in the market. It's perfectly human, sometimes irrational, to have these big swings of optimism and pessimism. This, of course, is, is reminiscent of the tale of Mr. Market, right? Benjamin Graham's parable, Mr. Market. And I'll include a link to an article about Mr. Market in the show notes. But right now, when I look around the, the financial blogosphere, Twitter, uh, people writing in newspapers, people appearing on CNBC, those kind of things, I see two prevalent trains of thought in the public markets. The first goes something like this. We are in an all-time bubble supported by make-believe money from the Federal Reserve. The stock market, well, it was hot before the pandemic started, and now it's basically boiling and about to blow. And the future, the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, it looks pretty bleak. Well, there's a second school of thought that goes something like this. The economy is doing well despite COVID-19, and that's a reason for optimism. Similarly, we are in the middle of this amazing growth cycle in the world of technology. And as usual, human ingenuity is working to solve our biggest problems, which we will accomplish successfully, And the future looks amazing. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, you could cherry pick your anecdotes to fit either of these stories. And largely, that's what I think is going on. I think people are are cherry picking some data, and that's understandable. So, and and that's what I'm going to do for you today, listener. I'm going to talk about some of the biggest reasons for optimism and some of the biggest reasons for pessimism. And then, like me, I think you might come to this realization this realization that nobody knows what the hell the future is going to look like. And odds are it ends up at some shade of gray between good and bad. So let's start with some reasons for pessimism. We'll start there. This is far from an all-inclusive list. It's just a few ideas that I've, I've put together from the top of my head. So, some cherry-picked reasons why the future is going to suck. Some reasons for pessimism. The first one that comes to mind, climate change. 
scientists, they say that uh, recent climate change data is actually worse than what many of their models predicted 10 or 20 years ago. The earth is warming. Oceans are rising. It'll certainly affect coastal cities. We're already seeing uh, meteorological effects, weather effects. Is our future going to start looking like a series of disaster recoveries, you know, where we move on from one disaster to the next with no real time or no real resources to make actual progress as a human race? Will parts of the earth become uninhabitable? Some argue that's already starting to occur. And when people move from those uninhabitable regions, we know what happens next. Mass migrations lead to hunger, to war, to death. Um, all this said, we haven't even touched on ecology yet. I mean, sure, it's going to be sad when we drive polar bears to extinction. I mean, genuinely, it's, it's going to feel bad that, that our actions have done that. But we're also starting to affect species that are directly tied to the human life cycle. Uh, be it animals we eat, like fish, or animals we need for agriculture, like bees. Uh, climate change might change the face of humanity over the next few decades, and that is pretty scary. I could keep going on climate change, but I want to switch over to social unrest. Things are bad here in America. It's also bad in various locations around the world. Uh, some would tie this unrest to failures in communication vis-a-vis -vis the, the social dilemma, for example, social media issues. Others would tie the social unrest to socioeconomic issues or systemic issues. Whatever the cause, let's just look at a couple objective facts, a couple recent events. Uh, here in America, we just suffered a summer of social upheaval like, well, like nothing we've seen in multiple decades. And on that note, I'm going to throw a link in the show notes to The Compound Show. The Compound Show is a podcast from Josh Brown. He is the CEO of, of Ritholtz Wealth Management. He's this A-list investing voice, right? If the best interest is somewhere on the F-list, Josh Brown is A-list. Famous guy. But he released an episode in February all about redlining and the knock-on effect that redlining has had on wealth distribution in America. Redlining, if you're not familiar, was a process where many cities, including, shamefully, my own Rochester, New York, refused to sell houses to black GIs returning from World War II, refused to sell houses to really any black families. And home ownership, of course, is, is one of the biggest paths to uh, wealth in the country. So by preventing uh, black families from owning homes and basically... Uh, not forcing, but leaving them with no other option but to rent. Preventing them from that home ownership also prevented them from a slice of the wealth pie. And uh, Josh Brown's point is that those choices that we made six, eight decades ago, well, they have a knock-on effect. They have a ripple effect, and you're starting to see some of that. Well, you, you absolutely can see some of that still today. So anyway, Josh Brown knocks it out of the park on that podcast episode. Link in the show notes. But back on the topic of civil unrest, yes, we've got the BLM riots. And then on the flip side of the coin, or at least a different side of the coin, we have a bunch of people storming the capital of the United States of America. And, you know, the U.S., we want to call ourselves a leader of the free world, and yet we can't elect a president without half the country believing that they've been lied to. I mean, something there has got to give. That is a serious problem. And... 
it's, I'm personally unsure of how we address that problem in the future, and that's scary. Extending out now to global tensions, President Trump had a fairly isolationist policy, or at least compared to many other recent presidents. It was an America first policy. Uh, you know, he pulled out of the, the Paris Climate Accords. We offended many other countries with some of our uh, international kind of policy choices. Some of you might think, well, who, who cares? You know, it's about time that America stood up for ourselves. Uh, personally, I think that's the wrong answer. I'm reminded of, what is it, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She had this famous um, quote or anecdote from one of her Supreme Court decisions. It's like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. So I think we took for granted uh, some of the international goodwill and what that goodwill has gotten us over recent years, recent decades. Uh, some of the choices we made in the last administration ripped some wounds open. And simply electing Joe Biden does not necessarily heal those wounds. We have work left to do. And of course, I'm being very American-centric right now. Perhaps that's not fair. So I look around the world, I see uh, skirmishes and deaths at the border of China and India. Uh, they're having some, some, uh, some violent arguments right now. And both of those countries are nuclear-capable. Uh, India versus Pakistan is a long-standing... Uh, divisive rivalry. Both countries are nuclear capable. Uh, China is making moves towards Taiwan slowly but surely, and annexing Taiwan is something that the U.S. now has on its radar, that China wants to annex Taiwan. The U.S. absolutely does not want that, and that could be a big cause for concern in the coming decades. North Korea is now nuclear capable, and most would say they have some level of instability in the country of North Korea. And then in general, Russia, China, North Korea, there's just a fair amount of saber rattling that has been increasing in frequency in recent years. Next topic, Infowars, fake news, what to believe. I just lump these all together as an inability to communicate the truth. Our response to the pandemic was depressing. And I can certainly say that I have uh, internalized that depression, pushed it somewhere deep down inside myself. Many things in this world frustrate me. Few things frustrated me like our country's response to the pandemic. Um, it didn't have to be like this. Many experts, many leaders were saying this back in March 2020, a year ago. They were offering what we now see was the correct advice. And I know this because I have written, I have written record on it on the blog. Um, some of the articles that I wrote last March and last April and last May pulled from quotes and pulled from podcasts where leading experts were saying the right things back then. It's just a matter of, well, we didn't listen to them. They were saying these things back when some states hadn't even had positive cases yet, back when cities measured cases in the tens and they measured deaths in the single digits. Our best and brightest scientists and doctors, they knew what was coming because they've seen it happen before. And we, as a collective, we didn't listen to them. And that, this isn't necessarily an I told you so. Um, because, I mean, what I'm just, I'm just a guy who writes a blog. I'm an engineer. I'm not a medical professional. But all I did was try to listen to those smart people 
and try to copy what they said and present it to my audience. Perhaps most frustrating of all is that we're here a year later. Various national leaders are still not listening to the smartest people in the room. So it's just this ability to communicate the truth, this ability to understand the truth and listen to the truth and try to do what's best for us. So the fact that we couldn't do it now, um, I mean, I hate to depress you even more, but whatever the COVID death rate is, you know, 0.1%, we got pretty lucky that it's that low. Uh, we could very easily have an influenza, uh, sorry, not an influenza, a coronavirus or, or some sort of flu-like virus where a death rate is 1% or 2% or 10%. And that gets really scary really quickly. If you can't come together as a society and figure out a way to mitigate that, it gets very, very frightening very, very quickly. And uh, we failed. I think we failed, but this was thankfully a failure that um, the death rate wasn't as high as it could have been. And I think we need to learn some lessons for next time. Otherwise, yeah, I'm pessimistic about the future too. There's no, uh, there's no rule that you can't have a coronavirus mutation one year and then have another mutation the next year. So, so the tox, the clock is ticking. We have, we have to act. Um, next topic, AI, artificial intelligence. Are we sure it's not just going to kill us all? I don't know. From what I've read and listened to, again, I'm far from an expert here. I just try to read what other experts are saying. Some people talk about there being this AI tipping point. And once we've tipped past that point, uh, AI will no longer be under human control. And at that point, it's kind of AI is building the next generation of AI. And the snowball quickly grows to this point where it's, it's out of control. And uh, we are no longer at the top of the food chain. Instead, the robots are. And then last on my list is just this general sense of decay. It's something that I certainly feel. I mean, sure, there's, there's decay in infrastructure, at least around here where I live. There's a decay in infrastructure. There's also the decay in the social dialogue, what I've already alluded to. But now, tying back to some of the earlier topics, yeah, we're working on AI, we're sending stuff to Mars, we're doing amazing things. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have this huge swath of our society who simply, they don't care about AI or Mars. They just want some of the simplest, most basic things in life that they can't, they can't get right now. This is subjective, of course. It's, it's kind of my opinion. But it's based on some facts. I feel like the tales of the societal distribution are getting further and further away from one another. And to me, that, that feels a bit like decay, or it feels like just, just things are just so out of touch. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just being too pessimistic. Who knows? So with that, let's now talk about some of the, the good things. The world, after all, is an amazing place. So first on my list, very topical, is the rapid vaccine response. And in general, these mRNA vaccines. Uh, a typical vaccine takes five to ten years to develop. So just imagine that, guys. Masks for another five or ten years. Social distancing for another five or ten years. It's hard to fathom. But here we are. Uh, it looks like it'll be about 15 months. 15 months for the U.S. between our first oh shit moment in March 2020 and a point where we'll be majority vaccinated, likely in May or June of 2021. 
That is amazing. It is amazing. Uh, part of the reason why it has to do with this new type of vaccine, the mRNA vaccine, uh, they could potentially revolutionize. They already are revolutionizing the way that our medical community fights diseases. I'm not a doctor. I won't try to explain how mRNA vaccines work, but it's groundbreaking. Uh, next, I'm optimistic about space, about Mars, about the final frontier, as they say on Star Trek. I mean, even if you think that Mars is the wrong target, which many smart people do think Mars is the wrong target, it's amazing what we are trying to do there, what we already are doing there. The NASA Perseverance rover, uh, rover <clears throat> amazing. It's so cool. It is so cool. What Elon Musk is trying to do, take a rocket to Mars, take people to Mars. Again, it's fantastic. It is very cool stuff. And, you know, riffing off the topic of Elon Musk, these reusable rockets that land themselves, it still blows my mind. And, and reminder, by day, I work on space-based uh, payloads. I have to think about rockets. So this hits home to me. Uh, Jeff Bezos, he thinks that we should have other space-based goals. And maybe he's right. Mars, after all, appears to be a, it's a fairly harsh planet. Instead, maybe we should be looking to build better space stations in low Earth orbit. Maybe we should look to mine asteroids for rare Earth metals. Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is supposed to launch soon. I know, famous last words. Uh, who knows what we'll discover from James Webb. So whether or not we're targeting the right, the right objectives in space right now, I mean, that is a worthwhile conversation to have. But just think, I mean, 30 years ago, if we had thought about taking a rover to Mars, um, if we had thought about taking people to Mars, if we had thought about taking a spaceship, landing it on an asteroid, and then mining metals from that asteroid, the progress that we've made is amazing. And I think the progress that we will make over the next few decades will be equally amazing. Next topic, uh, Silicon Valley. We're staying on tech because Silicon Valley is booming again. I mean, has it ever stopped booming? So much innovation is occurring there. We can start with the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, throw Microsoft in there. They really kept the S&P 500 afloat during much of 2020, and it was based on real growth, real innovation. And those are really just the most famous companies. Behind them, there are layers and layers of smaller businesses that are rapidly growing, uh, whether you want to think of of Shopify or Tesla or just even just small startups, startups right now that have 10 or 20 or 50 employees, but give them five or 10 years and they'll be the next Shopify or they'll be the next Amazon. There's just amazing stuff happening in Silicon Valley. Next topic is crypto, cryptocurrency. Now, I won't tell you too much about my personal feelings on crypto, but I think we might be at the beginning of the next generation of money. Or at least if I'm an optimist, that's certainly what I would say. The more and more I've read about crypto, the more I have become convinced that it has a place in the future economy. Now, two things are allowed to be true at once. I can say the blockchain has a place in the future of the economy. And I can also say I have no clue if the current pricing on cryptocurrencies is accurate. Does that make sense? Let's go back to 1999. You could say Amazon has a place in the future of the economy. And you could also say that Amazon at that time was overpriced. 
because, of course, during the dot-com bubble, the price of Amazon dropped by 94%. So crypto, it could change the future of the world in a good way. I think it has a place in the future. It's just a little bit undetermined, at least in my mind, what that place is. Next topic is the green revolution. So Tesla, solar power, wind power, as much as climate change is a reason to be pessimistic, we also have reasons to be optimistic. Namely, the world is still in in the early stages of what, what hopefully becomes a green revolution. Wind and solar power, hydro and nuclear power, fewer uh, fossil fuel power plants, fewer fossil fuel cars. I dare you to try to say fewer fossil fuel 10 times fast. That's a tough one. Well, just imagine a paradigm where 80% of vehicles are battery powered and 80% of those battery powered vehicles get their charging via green energy sources. That sounds pretty cool. And I'm convinced that we are on our way there. And that gives me hope. And uh, the last reason on here, I mean, computing power and AI, I talked about maybe some of the bad things, but it could lead to a universal basic income. Some people like former presidential candidate Andrew Yang say, yes, it will. It in fact needs to lead to a universal basic income. And depending on who you ask, that universal basic income will lead to a human flourishing and it will lead to economic growth. We are going to free up people's time and free up people's resources using AI, right? AI will take over jobs that people used to do and those people will have more time to pursue other things in life that perhaps they're more passionate about and that will breed a, a renaissance of human creativity. Sounds pretty cool to me. If you're, if you're an optimist, that sounds amazing. After all, humans love to make stuff better. That's what makes the economy tick. And it's easier than ever right now to build something new and to grow something new. I mean, after all, right? 20 years ago, I'm not sure how a Joe Schmo like me could have written down his thoughts and shared it with tens of thousands of people a month or could have um, spoken into a microphone and from you know the spare bedroom of his little house in suburban Rochester and projected it out to the world. But here we are, Best Interest Podcast. Let's go. So do these ideas make you feel optimistic, pessimistic? Let me know, guys. I love hearing from you. We'll go over some contact info at the end. And speaking of hearing from you, we are going to switch gears now to a listener question. Uh, so thanks to listener Pablo from Spain, España. I think it's amazing, Pablo, that, that you're listening from Spain. Thank you for emailing in. And Pablo asked me to talk about NFTs. If you haven't heard of NFTs, listeners, this can be your quick intro. And sometime soon, you're going to say, hey, I heard about NFTs on the Best Interest Podcast. So NFT, it stands for Non-Fungible token. So let's break that down and let's start with the non-fungible part. So fungibility is a trait that describes an item's ability to be replaced by a similar or identical item. What does that mean? A good example, US dollars are fungible because my dollar is worth the exact same as your dollar. And that's true even if your dollar happens to be new and crisp, but my dollar is old. 
That is fungibility. So money, in general, it needs to be fungible. Dollar bills can be replaced with other dollar bills. Uh, nickels can be replaced with other nickels. You can exchange a $10 bill for two $5 bills, and no one will feel bad about that trade. It's all equal. It's all fungible. But shoes, at least for me, shoes aren't fungible. So let's say that you and I both have a pair of Nike Jordans, or is it Air Jordans? We probably would never trade them one for one because yours might be new, whereas mine are used and old. New shoes aren't tradable for old, worn-out shoes. They might be different sizes. They might be different colors. So shoes can't be traded in the same way that a U.S. dollar is traded one for one. Shoes are not fungible or non-fungible. So non-fungible tokens, non-fungible can be thought of as a synonym for unique. And then the token part of it. So a token is simply a representation of another thing. An arcade token represents money. A gift can be a token of my appreciation, so that whenever you see that gift, you'll remember that I appreciate you. The token represents my appreciation. So in this case, the tokens are certificates of ownership of a digital item. They're unique, they're non-fungible, so they're unique certificates of ownership of a digital item. An NFT is a way of saying the owner of this NFT is the certified unique owner of a digital thing. We'll go over what those digital things are. And because the NFT exists on the blockchain, in this case, it's not the Bitcoin blockchain, but instead it's the Ethereum blockchain, we know that the chain of custody, or in the art world, they would call it the provenance of the digital thing is unassailably valid. It can't be faked. So whereas you can fake art, and you can lie about the provenance of an art piece, because NFTs live on the blockchain, you can't fake, you can't fake it. The blockchain always remembers. So let's talk about these digital things that NFTs represent. Well, an easy example, uh, an easy parallel to start with is that NFTs have been used to trade artwork. They've also been used to limit the release on new music. NFTs are even being used to buy and sell these short video clips of NBA, National Basketball Association, highlights. You can be the unique owner of a GIF or a GIF of LeBron James dunking. And I know, I get it. Some of you are already thinking, this is some batshit crazy bullshit. Who would ever, ever pay money for something that's digital and so easy to copy? I get it. I was there too. To some extent, I still am there. But to play devil's advocate, let's look at the example of art. I could pay about $500 for a really high-quality canvas recreation of a Monet. I could get it framed. I could hang it in my living room. In fact, every art collector in the world could make that choice. I could fill my house with $100, $200, $500 high-quality replicas of the most famous pieces of artwork in the world. And yet, some people, they choose to do that, but they'll pay $5 million for the original art piece. Why? Why would they pay $500 or $5 million when they could just pay $500? Perhaps it's because of status. 
or perhaps there's some intangible feeling that comes with owning an original piece, being the one and only owner, being able to say, Claude Monet's paintbrush touched this very canvas, and now this canvas is here hanging on my wall. I think it's undeniable that people will pay for the real thing, and they won't pay as much for a fake. NFTs offer that same feeling of uniqueness. Again, perhaps it's just status. This week, uh, an NFT of some famous and very strange digital art sold for $69 million. $69 million at Sotheby's. Now, would you or I pay that much? I highly doubt it. But someone out there now has the status of being the most famous NFT owner in the world. And that piece of art has the status of being the most famous digital art in the world. Now, people collect sports cards in real life, and they might pay thousands of dollars for mint condition rookie cards of a player. Why? Well, it's because of the status that comes with it. People pay tens of thousands of dollars for early edition uh, Magic the Gathering cards. Again, why do they do that? Well, it's because of the status. Now, sure, some of them might hope that the price goes up in the future, and that they can resell those cards for profit. This is the so-called greater fool's theory of investing. There's always a greater fool out there willing to pay more. And by that logic, things like collectibles always tend to have bubbles. The Beanie Baby bubble is a perfect example. There's no intrinsic value in Beanie Babies or baseball cards or magic cards. They don't naturally grow on their own like, say, a stock does, right? A stock represents a company. A company will naturally grow on its own, and therefore the price of the stock increases. That's natural growth that drives value in stocks. Beanie Babies and baseball cards don't have that kind of natural intrinsic growth. But Beanie Babies or Beanie Baby collections, baseball card collections, magic card collections, artwork, it gives people status. And NFTs, in my opinion, they're doing the same exact thing. So again, just like we did earlier in the episode, we can come to this point where we say that two facts are allowed to be true at the same time. On the one hand, we can say that NFTs are this weird new thing that's probably a bubble in some way. It's likely going to pop at some point. But we can also say that NFTs are interesting, that they have real-world applications, and that they're going to play a legitimate role in the future. So, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, it's a digital certificate of unique ownership of some digital thing. Do you guys have any plans on buying or even creating your own NFTs? Because actually, I do have a fun and funny plan. Um, it's still in the, it's still definitely in the planning stages. I'm still brainstorming. But I promise I will let you know about it if and when I decide I'm going to execute on it. So Pablo, uh, thank you for that great question. I hope I answered the question. Let me know if I didn't. The rest of you, let me know what you think about NFTs. If you have any follow-on questions, let me know. As you can tell, I love answering listener questions. So please keep on sending them in. The email is jesse at bestinterest.blog. Or follow me on Twitter. My username is bestinterest underscore JC. And you, yes you, I need to ask you for a favor. If you found this entertaining and informative, then ask yourself, 
what dollar value do you place on that information, on that entertainment? Now, if you're like me, that dollar value might be somewhere around 50 cents. Okay, that's good. That is good. So how long does it take you in your life to earn 50 cents? It's probably somewhere between 30 seconds and two minutes. So would you mind taking between 30 seconds and two minutes to rate and review the Best Interest Podcast? I think it's a great economic trade, no? And then in future episodes, after you've rated and reviewed, you'll be listening for free. And that is an awesome deal for you. So go to Apple Podcasts, find the Best Interest Podcast, go to your podcast app, and leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. And of course, full transparency, what do I get out of it? Well, the algorithm catches on, makes me famous, and enables me to create more of this content that you guys are asking for. And then I can go take my podcast, turn it into an NFT, and become a billionaire overnight. Or third, you can take your 30 seconds to two minutes and just share this content directly, whether it's an email to a friend, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, LinkedIn, MySpace, AOL, snail mail, whatever it is. I really appreciate it, guys. And, you know, Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to episode six of the Best Interest Podcast. Thank you.